Today's scripture reading, if you have your Bibles, please flip to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 12. And I'll read it for us. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. This is the word of God. Thanks, John, for reading scripture for us. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us today as you watch the service online. And for those on level three, good to have you here with us in the building. Uh, this is a tough time for all of us because we haven't been able to gather physically for quite a while now. So as, as John announced earlier in the service, it is even more important for us to find ways to stay connected so coming for the monthly prayer meeting, even though it's just on Zoom, but that's a good way to pray with our brothers and sisters to connect with one another. Uh, attending the quarterly congregational meeting, uh, the QCM, that's a good way to again connect with one another and to hear about what God is doing, uh, even in this season when we are unable to physically gather as a church. So do uh, avail yourselves to, to, to these things. These are good ways for us to stay connected to the rest of uh, the body to make sure that we continue to have encouragement and fellowship uh, from those around us. Let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts to receive the word this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed that you are the one to be feared. And we thank you that you are great. We praise you for you are the sovereign God who is Lord over all of creation. You are the judge. And you are also a loving Father who provides uh, for your people. 
So Father, as we come to you, we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would uh, send your spirit, fill us, grant us uh, clarity of sight, that we would see Jesus and speak of him, uh, praise him, and may our hearts be uh, drawn near to him in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you could have the first slide. Great. Uh, this is not Ian in Canada. Uh, this is uh, Edward Michael Grills, or better known as Bear Grills, your former British soldier, you know, kind of like a man's man. Yeah, now he's, a, you know, he's known as a famous adventurer and uh, a survival instructor. And you may have watched some of his shows. He's hosted a number of uh, wilderness survival TV shows with titles like Man vs. Wild, Worst Case Scenario, Get Out Alive, Escape from Hell, and the latest one, You, know, you vs. Wild, which my two boys really enjoy watching. You know, why, why do we watch such shows? You know, why, why do such survival shows kind of grab our attention? I think maybe it's because they resonate with our survival instincts. You know, we want to learn how to respond to dangerous situations. You know, there's this fear in the back of our minds that, oh, if, if I'm ever caught in the Amazon with crocodiles in the river, I want to know exactly what to do. <laughs> so we're not, caught un we're not caught unprepared when these situations arise. You know, the, the current pandemic has been a stark reminder to us that we live in a dangerous world. Uh, we, we live in a world that is fallen, we live in a world that is broken, and living in such a world can stoke our fears and anxieties. Uh, living in a world can make us afraid and anxious. We are in the travel section of Luke's Gospel, where Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem, and we know that he's going to the cross. And this journey began in Luke chapter 9, you know, with that statement, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, you know, Jesus, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this journey will end in Luke chapter 19. So it's quite a long section in Luke's gospel. So we are in Luke 12 today. Uh, it's still kind of making, Jesus still making his way towards Jerusalem. And Jesus invites us to walk with him along the way in order to learn what it means to follow him. And discipleship means following Jesus on the way to the cross. And he calls us, as we follow him, to also take up our cross, to deny ourselves if we are to be his disciples. At Luke 12, in particular, Jesus teaches us how to live as his disciples in a hostile world. You know, we, we talked about Bear Grylls and his survival guides on TV. Well, Luke 12 is a bit like a survival guide for disciples. This is how we are to live in a world that is a dangerous place. This is how we live in a fallen world. You know, since Jesus was opposed and rejected, we should also be ready to face similar adversity. You know, are we prepared for the consequences of following Jesus. In our text, Jesus calls us to follow him in this world by forsaking hypocrisy, by fearing God, and by confessing Christ with the help of God's Spirit. And, and those are the three main points for our time together this morning. 
forsaking hypocrisy, fearing God, and confessing Christ. So let's begin with the first few verses in our text, verses 1 to 3, on the danger of hypocrisy. So we read in verse 1 of our text that the crowds are growing. You know, many thousands of people had gathered together. You know, they, they, was, they, they were pressing, trampling on one another in order to just catch, catch a glimpse of Jesus or to hear his words. You know, but Jesus knows that such popularity is only temporary. So he wants to make sure that his disciples, his disciples in particular, understand what it means to follow him. So even though the crowd is all around him, he, he turns specifically to his disciples and he says to his disciples, first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You know, don't be a hypocrite, warns Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't want people to come to him as if he was just starting some new religious movement, as if he was just uh, helping people to be religious on the outside just like the Pharisees were. You know, what he wanted people to realize is that to come to him means to give ourselves completely to him, not just have an external appearance of religiosity because you follow a new religious leader, but to give ourselves to him, body and soul, you know, heart and mind, our whole person given to Jesus. So Jesus says to his disciples, don't be a hypocrite, just like the Pharisees. Your faith must go deeper than just the mere externals. Now, hypocrisy comes from the Greek word that was used to describe play acting, right? acting on a stage. And in ancient Greek theatre, actors would wear masks to portray different characters. So to be a hypocrite means to put on a mask, right? to pretend to be someone we're not. Right? So that's, 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 just, that's what it means to be a hypocrite. You know, in, in Singapore, we talk about uh, wayang, right? Don't make sure your religion is not wayang. Right? It's, it's just a show. It's just an act. You know, as Oli preached for us last week, the Pharisees' religion was empty. They tried to look good on the outside, but inside they were unclean. You know, their religious practices were just a show that they put on, a performance, in order to look a certain way. Now, why do we pretend? Now, why go to the trouble of putting up a show? You know, I put it to us that we pretend because we want to look good in the eyes of others. Now, the Pharisees practiced their religion in order to be seen by other people. That's why in verse 43 of chapter 11, uh, they loved the best seats in the synagogues. You know, it's a bit like sitting at the front row in church so that everyone can see that you're there, right? They love greetings in the marketplaces, elaborate greetings where they bless one another and they, and they, and they show that they are followers of God, right? And what does it mean for us? You know, how, how, how might we be practicing religion in order to be seen by others? Friends, we can attend church regularly, or at least now we can watch sermons online, watch services online regularly. We can go for Bible studies, uh, be in a CG, in a small group. We can be actively serving in many, many different ministries, using our time 
to serve in different ways. But friends, we, we need to kind of hit pause and, and ask ourselves, who are we doing it for? Who are we doing all of that for? Is it to be seen by others? Or even just something that boosts our sense of self-worth or self-esteem? Who are we doing it for? Now we can say and do all the right religious things, but do we truly know and follow Jesus? Are we following Him? Are we doing these things, which are good things, but are we doing them for Him? Because we love Him and we want to follow Him. You know, speaking as a parent, I have two young boys, as many of you know them, Zachary and Ian. Uh, my, my prayer for them, my, my desire for them is that they, they, you know, they, they come to church, they, they, they read the Word, but they do all that because they love Jesus, not because they're trying to please mommy and daddy. Right? That, that's my prayer for them, that they have a heart who, that loves God, not, not simply because they, they want our approval as their parents. Now, hypocrisy makes us hide who we really are. But friends, I wonder if we realize that the gospel makes it safe for us to be completely honest with God. Have you thought about that? How, how the gospel makes it safe for you to take off your mask and to come to God just as you are, without any pretense. And we don't have to, be, we don't have to pretend to be okay in order to draw near to God. We don't even have to try to clean ourselves up before we come to God. Friends, do we realize that Jesus has come to save sinners? Now listen to that again. Jesus has come to save sinners. We can take our mask off. We can turn away from hypocrisy because Jesus invites us to come to Him just as we are. We've all turned away from God, but the gospel is the good news that is not about what we can do to earn our way back to God, but the gospel is the good news about what Christ has done. What Christ has done to save unworthy, undeserving sinners like us. You know, our, our, righteous, our so-called righteousness are like the fig leaves that Adam and Eve put on to try to hide their shame from God. But God takes those fig leaves away and He clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. Jesus obeyed for us, freely giving us His righteousness. Jesus died for us, bearing God's judgment in our place so that we can be forgiven freely, fully. And Jesus rose from the dead for us to give us new life, one that we could never earn or accomplish in our own strength. So friends, trying to keep up appearances actually shows that we haven't really understood the gospel. Because trying to keep up appearances indicates that we are still trusting in our own works to gain acceptance. Hypocrisy blinds us to our real need for Jesus. Hypocrisy is a form of deception and worst of all, hypocrisy is a form of self-deception. We, we become so accustomed to putting on the mask that we start believing our own lie. Hypocrisy makes us think that we are okay. 
as long as we can hide our sin from other people. But friends, Jesus says, you know, beware of being a hypocrite because spiritual hypocrisy will ruin us. It will destroy us. You know, some of you may have read the book, uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right? It's a famous book, quite a classic by Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, so Dr. Henry Jekyll was an upstanding member of society. You know, he, was a, he, was a, he was a successful man with a brilliant uh, career. But Dr. Jekyll had a problem. Right? He, he had this dark side in him that he wanted to indulge. Right? He, he was given to, to, to these hidden sins in his life. So Dr. Jekyll wanted to indulge this dark side of his life, but without being found out. Right? So he wanted to be able to indulge fully in his sins without the risk of being discovered or exposed by society because he wanted to maintain his reputation in society. So what did Dr. Jekyll do? He, he did some research and he came up with this serum that allowed him to transform into Mr. Hyde. So he would take the serum night after night and transform into Mr. Hyde. And as Mr. Hyde, he could give full vent to his proclivities. He could give full expression to this dark side and he could do that night after night without being found out because Mr. Hyde was supposed to be someone else, right? Not the honourable Dr. Jekyll. But then there came a problem. Dr. Jekyll discovered that he was beginning to turn into Mr. Hyde even without the serum. And he couldn't control when he would turn into Mr. Hyde. And the problem got worse and worse until finally he realized that he could, he could not hide Mr. Hyde. He just kept coming out. And finally he destroyed Dr. Jekyll. Now friends, that, that story is a very obvious uh, parable about the foolishness of hypocrisy. We might be able to fool ourselves sometimes or fool other people sometimes, but we can never continue doing it. It will destroy us. And hypocrisy doesn't just do spiritual harm to individuals, it, it also hurts the church, it hurts the people of God. Now this is why Jesus calls hypocrisy leaven. Hypocrisy is a sin that doesn't just affect me as an individual, but it will spread to my family, it will spread to my brothers and sisters around me. It spreads like the virus, corrupting others around us. Because hypocrisy makes it okay for me to appear righteous, right? to be self-righteous. And this sense of self-righteousness will start encouraging other people to be self-righteous as well, to become proud of their own uh, accomplishments. And hypocrisy causes the Christian community to become superficial and shallow because we hide from one another, making it hard for us to truly know and be known by one another. You know, hypocrisy short-circuit that, that whole discipleship process where the community builds one another up in the faith. Because when, when we are hypocritical, we, instead of encouraging one another towards repentance, 
Instead of bearing one another's burdens, we hide our struggles from one another. And we tolerate sin as long as we can manage it and keep it hidden. That's why Jesus says this hypocrisy will spread like a leaven and will damage the whole community of God's people. Hypocrisy doesn't work. We may look good to others, but we cannot fool God or hide from Him. He knows everything and He sees everything. And God will bring everything we think, say and do into the open. That's what Jesus says in verses 2 and 3. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, that's a sober warning that one day everything will come to light. But this warning is also a gracious promise. Because what it means is God not only sees through the hypocrisy, but He also sees our faith and obedience. Our faith and obedience are not hidden from Him. So, far, so friends, we, we, we kill hypocrisy by coming into the light of Christ. And it doesn't matter what other people think of us, because only God's pleasure and His approval matters. Therefore, if, even if no one else sees our faith and obedience, Jesus says God sees. He will bring that into the light. And He is pleased with us if we are in Christ. So friends, that, that's an encouragement for us to t take our mask off, to come into the light of Christ, to make ourselves known to Him, even as we know Him, so that we might trust Him and follow Him. And, and, God, and Jesus says God sees that, and God is pleased by that. So beware the danger of hypocrisy. Uh, second point from this text in verses 4 to 7 is fear God, not man. So in verses 4 to 7, Jesus begins to get to the root of hypocrisy. Uh, we, we talked about that some earlier on. You know, why do we put on a mask? Why do we pretend? Because we want to look good in the eyes of others. And why do we care so much about what others think of us? It's because of the fear of man. And Jesus pinpoints the root of hypocrisy here in these verses. So he says in verse 4, Do not fear those who kill the body. Right? Do not fear man. Now, what, what is the fear of man? It's the fear that people will reject us. It's the fear that people will expose us for who we really are. It's the fear that people will hurt us either by their words, their actions, or their opinions of us. Right? That, that's what the fear of man is. The fear of rejection, the fear of exposure, the fear of being hurt by others. No, we, we see the fear of man in, in Scripture in various examples. I think we, we see the fear of man in Peter. Right? Peter denied Christ three times because of the fear of man. In fact, later on, Peter acted hypocritically, breaking fellowship with Gentile Christians. Right? Paul kind of calls him out in Galatians. because he kind of, Paul charges him with being hypocritical because of the fear of man in Galatians. Now, the fear of man tempts us to become like the world. Now, we, we try to blend in to gain acceptance and affirmation. Friends, the fear of man is actually self-centered and self-serving. 
Right? We, we want other people to approve of us. So it's ultimately self-referenced. So we cannot fear God and, and fear man. Right? The, the, the two are mutually exclusive. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We have to choose. Would we fear man or would we fear God? They can't coexist. Proverbs 29:25 says, "The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe." So how does the fear of man influence our lives? How might the fear of man be causing us to say and do nothing when we ought to be speaking of Jesus and living for Him? Friends, this is an important question that we need to think about. How, has, how is the fear of man influencing your life? How is it controlling your life? Leading you to do things in order to get approval and affirmation from others instead of seeking the pleasure and approval of God and Jesus Christ? How is our desire to conform to the world around us compromising our Christian witness? You know, are, are there times when we should be saying something about Jesus and we don't? Are there times when we should be standing up for Jesus and we don't? Following Jesus means being distinct from the world because we submit to a different Lord. Treasuring Christ will put us at odds with the world's ambitions. It will put us at odds with the world's priorities, with the world's values, and with the world's morality as well. For this reason, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. For example, the world will deride us as judgmental and narrow-minded because we listen to what God says about sex and sexuality. And Jesus tells us to expect the world's disapproval. In John 15, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Friends, think about this. What, what we fear reveals what we worship. Right? What we fear reveals what we worship. You know, we, we fear rejection because we worship approval and acceptance, right? because we idolize approval and acceptance and success. You know, we, we fear suffering and hardship because we idolize comfort and security. We, we fear man because we are afraid of losing what we cherish the most. I highly recommend this book by Edward Welch, When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's an excellent book to think more about this topic of the fear of man. And, and the book suggests uh, quite a number of good questions to help us to think about how we might be fearing man in our lives. You know, some of these questions are there on the slide. You know, good for us to kind of maybe take a photo of that and read, 
Talk about it in your small groups. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your children. Right? Talk about it with your Christian friends. Right? Think about you know, how, how might the fear of man be showing itself in our lives? Do we struggle with peer pressure and the need to keep up with others? Do we find it hard to say no to others? Are we always second-guessing ourselves because we are afraid of what others think? Do we constantly need to need others to affirm, approve, and respect us in order to feel that we are someone? Are we controlled by the opinions and expectations of others? You know, are we living our life just to meet expectations of the people around us? Friends, we, we fear man because our view of God is too small. We make too much of ourselves. We make too much of what others think of us. What we need is to make much of God. Right? That's what we need to fear God. We need to make much of God. And this is exactly what Jesus calls us to do in verses 4 and 5. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God because he is the one who is absolutely sovereign over our lives. Not man, but God. And the psalmist uses the same reasoning in Psalm 56. He says, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? What's, what's the worst thing that someone else can do to us? Jesus says, the worst thing they can do is to kill us. <laughs> they can hurt us physically, but nothing more. God, on the other hand, has power and authority over our entire being, body and soul. As, as Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. God is our sovereign creator, the one to whom we must give an account, and he alone has the right to judge and determine our eternal destiny. That's why Jesus says to us, don't fear man, fear him, fear God, because of who he is. He has authority to cast into hell. You know, the, the word translated hell is the word Gehenna. Right? So it's not Sheol, but it's, it's Gehenna. And, and Gehenna was the name of a refuse dump, you know, like a garbage dump, south of Jerusalem, where you know, people would, would literally throw their trash to, to burn. And, and Gehenna was a place where these fires were constantly burning. So, so that place became a symbol for where the unrighteous suffered eternal punishment. So Jesus says God has authority to throw us into Gehenna, into hell. But, but this begs the question, right? Is, is Jesus just trying to terrify us into fearing God? Is Jesus, is Jesus just using hell as, as a scare tactic to make us fear God. You know, some of you, may, some of you might remember visiting Hoppa Villa. You know, I used to go there as a young kid. You know, it's a popular place for parents to bring their children, right? especially naughty children. You kind of just bring them to Hoppa Villa. And then you go straight to this place called the Ten Courts of Hell. You'd make sure your, your kids walk slowly through the Ten Courts of Hell, looking at all the rather gory punishments that await those who are disobedient. right? So is, is this what Jesus is doing? You know, is he kind of walking us through this view of hell to kind of scare us into fearing God? 
I don't think so. Because fearing God doesn't mean being terrified of Him, but rather fearing God means rightly worshipping Him as God, rightly honouring Him as God. So when Jesus speaks of God's authority to judge, He's not scaring us into fearing God, but rather He's showing the greatness of God. He's showing us God as He truly is, the one who has full authority over our lives. And this God is infinitely greater than any man. So if, if God is big and people are small, then why should we fear man? If we understand that God is big, then why should we fear man? And Jesus shows in these verses that God is great in judgment, but he's also great in his love for his people. You notice the change in tone in verses 6 and 7. From warning of judgment, Jesus turns to a picture of God's fatherly love. Right? He says in verses 6 and 7, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Ah, that's just so comforting. Right? Fear not. You are of more value, not, not just of one sparrow, but of many sparrows. Fear, fear God, not man, because our great God cares for us. That's the encouragement of verses 6 and 7. He's the Lord of all creation from the vast universe all the way down to the tiny sparrow. If God remembers even the lowly sparrow, then how can he forget us, his people? You know, notice how Jesus calls his disciples, my friends, in verse 4. It's such an intimate term of endearment. Not my servants, not even my disciples, but my friends. Jesus is our friend if we belong to him. In Christ, we are God's precious possession. We are God's beloved children. And we are more valuable to God than many sparrows. And God says to us, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Friends, this, this God is worth fearing. This God is for us. This God is our loving Father who provides for us. He has full sovereignty over our body and soul, but He exercises His sovereignty for our good. We can fear Him. You know, God does not promise us a comfortable, trouble-free life in this fallen world but he promises to be our anchor through the storm. We are safe in his loving and wise hands. We can trust our Heavenly Father to do what is right for our good and for his glory. Later on, we'll sing this song in closing, but there's this stanza from this song, He Will Hold Me Fast, that says, Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Fear God, not men. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him? Great, graciously give us all things. Nothing, nothing, friends, 
not even the worst that man can do to us. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So finally, our third and closing point, confidently confess Christ. So friends, I hope, hope we see just from these first two points that our commitment to live for Jesus in the world shows the depth of our trust in God. Right? Our commitment to live for Jesus in the world shows the depth of our trust in God. And since we can be sure of God, let's confidently confess Christ in this world. And how do we confess Christ? We confess Christ by telling others about Him, about His life, His death, His resurrection on behalf of sinners to save us from our sins. We confess Christ by reflecting His character, by showing the world what He's like in love, in grace, in mercy, in compassion as we grow to become more like Him. And then Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. It's in verse 8. Now, this is a gracious promise. Confessing Christ in the world may cost us our reputations. It may cost us our comfort. It may cost us our worldly success. It may even cost us our lives. But Jesus assures us that those who confess Christ will be safe. He will stand by us. And then he himself will confess us that we belong to him. And as we stand before him at the judgment, he will say, these are mine. These belong to me. They are safe because I died for them. And Jesus will confess us. But if we deny Christ, then he will also deny us. And denying Christ means that we are ashamed of his gospel. It means that we don't really believe him. We don't really take him at his word. We don't trust the good news that he preaches to us. To deny Christ means that we value man's approval more than we value Jesus' approval. We may worry about what other people think of us, but friends, what will Jesus think of us when we stand before him at the judgment? We may have been unfaithful to Jesus, but he shows mercy. Look at verse 10, first half of verse 10. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Friends, it's not too late to turn back to Jesus. Peter denied Christ three times because because he was fearful of man, but he was forgiven. The Apostle Paul was a blasphemer and persecutor of the church, but he received mercy because Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the chief of sinners. So friends, verse 10 reminds us that Jesus is a merciful Savior. And though we may speak against Him, we may deny Him now, but He invites us to still come to Him, that we might be forgiven. The first half of verse 10 speaks of God's grace so that we need not despair of hope. But the second half of verse 10 warns us against taking God's kindness and patience for granted. His mercy is meant to lead us to repentance, not presumption. So turn to Jesus today. If you hear his voice, if you hear his gospel, do not harden your hearts against him. 
Do not keep hardening your heart against him. Now, God the Father has sent the Spirit to bear witness about the Son. The Spirit's role is to convict us of sin, and the Spirit's role is to point us to Jesus, the only Savior for sinners. So to blaspheme against the Spirit means to persistently, stubbornly reject the work of the Spirit. It means to stubbornly reject what the Spirit is saying about Jesus, His witness to Christ. And this is what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. They, they had seen all the evidence of Jesus' works. They, they'd seen the signs, but they stubbornly refused to believe in Jesus despite seeing all the evidence that he had done in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus says, beware of blaspheming against the Spirit. Beware of becoming like the Pharisees. There will be no turning back if we keep hardening our hearts against this gospel. So every time you hear the gospel, God is calling you to turn to Him. Don't ignore that. Don't resist that. And Jesus says in the second half of verse 10, the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, this is a difficult and troubling verse, I know, for many of us. Some of us would hear this and we would worry about whether we have blasphemed against the Spirit. Some of us may think, gosh, am I, am I beyond God's mercy, because somehow, somewhere in my life, I've blasphemed against the Spirit. But I would say to us that it is, it is safe to say that our concern about this matter, about whether we've blasphemed against the Spirit, actually shows that we have not hardened our hearts against God, that we're concerned about whether we can draw near to God. And friends, if, if we have that concern, it actually shows that our hearts are not hardened. It shows that we haven't blasphemed against the Spirit. We are not guilty of unforgivable sin. So friends, the fact that we are concerned about this matter actually shows that our hearts are still soft towards God and we desire to know Him and still come to Him and, have, and seek His mercy. So friends, if that describes you and you have these worries, do not fear. Turn to Jesus. He says, even the one who speaks something against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So turn to Him, friends. He will not reject us if we come to Him by faith. Following Jesus means we will experience opposition in the world. It's not a question of if, but when. You know, look, look at verse 11. Jesus says, when they bring you before the synagogues. Not if, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. And sure enough, Jesus' words come to pass. You know, if, if you read uh, the sequel to the book of Luke, which is the book of Acts, uh, you, you see the fulfillment of Jesus' words. Stephen was stoned, James was executed, Peter was arrested, Paul was put on trial. But yet, we need not fear or lose heart because the Spirit helps us to speak of Jesus. Which is what he says in verse 12. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Spirit enables us to speak of Jesus even in times of trouble. It gives us the boldness to confidently confess Christ. And the book of Acts is really the story of the Spirit's work, empowering the church to bear witness about Christ and to grow through trials and suffering. So what does this mean for us as a church? Friends, we, we need the work of the Spirit. 
And we need to ask the Spirit to fill us. We need to ask the Spirit to give us boldness to speak of Jesus. Friends, because we are naturally not bold, <laughs> we are naturally fearful people. But how, how do we confess Christ in this world? Not, not in our own strength, not in our own willpower, but we ask the Spirit to give us the courage to speak of Jesus when we need to speak of Him, where we need to speak of Him. So pray, friends. This, this verse, verse 12, is an invitation to us to be prayerful, to pray for the filling of the Spirit, to pray for boldness to speak of Jesus, because without Him, we can do nothing. The battle belongs to the Lord, and He promises to always be with us. Our faithfulness as God's people rests on God's faithfulness, on Christ's faithfulness, on the Spirit's work in our lives. And we can trust in His Spirit to provide us with what we need when we need it, right, in that very hour. Now, I love this verse in Ecclesiastes 11. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. You know, it's a verse that speaks of how when, when you're farming, you don't try to keep, you, you, don't, you don't farm based on just looking at the wind and, 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 and looking at the weather forecast. You, you just go and farm, you just go and sow your seed and trust in God to give the increase. So friends, our fears, our worries and anxieties can paralyze us. You know, we can be so caught up trying to plan, predict, preempt every possible scenario and outcome that we end up saying and doing nothing. Right? Have you ever experienced that? You, know, you, you want to speak to your friend about Jesus and you think, okay, he might say this, so what do I do? Or he might not say that, so what do I do? Or he might do this, what do I do? You know, we, we think of all the contingencies and we overthink the scenario, and so much so that we, we decided, okay, maybe I just shouldn't say anything, it's too risky. <laughs> but Jesus says, don't fear. Don't, don't overthink things. Just be faithful. Just be faithful in the moment. If God gives you the opportunity, be faithful and speak of Jesus. And trust Him moment by moment. That's why Jesus says that the Spirit will, will teach you in that very hour, right? In that very hour. It's not something that you can forecast. It's not something that you can plan for. It's not something that you can kind of just legislate and say the Spirit must do this. But no, you just trust Him and you'll be faithful in the moment. The Spirit doesn't help us avoid suffering, but He will help us to stay true to Jesus through danger and difficulty. We need not fear man, because the Spirit will teach us in that very hour what we ought to say. So friends, my, my encouragement for us as we go into the world this week is to think about, you know, are there conversations that we need to have? Are there conversations that we need to have with the people around us? Maybe some of these conversations might be difficult conversations about Jesus. Are we willing to trust in the Spirit to give us the right words to say at the right time? Maybe we need to spend time meditating on verses 11 and 12 in particular of our text. So how can we live faithfully without hypocrisy or fear in a hostile world. I think these verses remind us that we always need Jesus.
Friends, we always need Jesus. You know, I began with Bear Grylls, so I'm also going to give Bear Grylls the closing words of our time this morning. You know, Bear Grylls is also a follower of Jesus. A few years ago, he testified of his faith in a magazine article. Not a Christian magazine, just, just a regular secular magazine. And he wrote in that article, For many years, I tried to be strong only in myself, but the truth is that I'm, that I'm not. I have finally found the courage to admit that my longing for this life within me is stronger than the fear of what others may think. I'm no longer too proud to admit that I need my Saviour beside me. Friends, this, this is how we survive. And not just survive, but this is how we thrive in a hostile world. We need our Saviour beside us. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we, we thank you indeed that you promise us your Son. And we thank you, Father, that we can come near to you and draw near to you because of him. And Father, we, we thank you and praise you that you are the one whom we should fear, not in a cowering, terrified sort of way, but we can fear you, rightly honour you and rightly worship you because you are a loving Father to us. And Lord God, we thank you that we draw near to you because you have opened up the way for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of what Christ has done, we need not fear, but we can come to you with confidence, trusting that we are accepted by you and we have your full pleasure and approval, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. So Father, we pray that you would take this gospel and press it deep into our hearts. We pray that you would help us to realize in an even greater way how we are dependent on Jesus. Help us to know that we rest on him, that he is our rock, he is our anchor, he is the refuge for our souls. And Father, as we go off into the world this week, Father, we pray that you would send us with the confidence of Christ so that we might boldly speak of him, that we might boldly live for him, wherever you have placed us. So Father, help us to fear you, and to worship you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.